Just stand with me. I, um, I would like to just, it feels appropriate to just pause and give praise and thanks to God. Honey, could you do Gloria Patri? Glory be to the Father. Could we stand together? I know it's unusual. That's okay. Let's stand and worship uh, the Lord our God. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. What's that? Glory. people said. Amen. Glory be to the Father. Let's have a seat. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to begin at verse 18, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. And this is heavy sledding in a sense. It's sobering news, and we'll need to um, just prepare our minds to think and reflect, uh, to hear what God has to say to us in His Word today. Romans chapter 1. Remember, the, the book begins with Paul uh, delighting in the gospel and not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, and the gospel that Paul preaches is specifically a gospel of salvation by grace alone and through faith alone. Um, and Paul's going to now uh, show why that is necessary, that men must be saved by grace alone and by faith alone, not through human merit. Uh, and, the, and the reason is because of the reality of our sin and the reality of God's wrath against it. So let's pick it up in verse 18, Romans chapter 1. Let's give our attention to God's word. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. 
They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's ask the Lord to bless His Word. Father, this is a hard word, but it's a good word, and we pray that your Spirit today would give us understanding. We want to be wise unto salvation. We want to, Lord, understand the truth about our world and about our need and about the gospel. And so we ask for your help today in Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning deals with one of the um, most perplexing questions of human history, but also our, particularly in our time, and, and that's what's wrong with us? Um, what, uh, how did our culture become so perverse? For those of you who are, um, you know, 30 years or older, you know, it, it, it's not always been like this. Not this way. In the past 20 years, we have been overwhelmed with sexual defilement. Uh, pornography is so prevalent, it's accepted as perfectly normal. Polyamory is celebrated with TV shows. Sex trafficking is on the rise. Uh, Public schools are catechizing our young children in every sort of sexual perversion. The LGBTQ plus lifestyle and worldview is mainstream. It's, It's perfectly plausible. And what happened? And what's happening? Well, that's precisely what Paul addresses here in our text this morning. As we've said, uh, Paul is building an argument here that uh, the gospel is the only hope for the world, and, and the gospel that he means is the gospel of grace, salvation by grace alone, and faith alone. It's a free gift that God must give, or, um, and, and that, so that's the only hope for the world. And, and Paul builds the argument by, by starting out explaining that the wrath of God is being revealed, that uh, this world isn't just the way it is, this world is the way it is because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then Paul goes on to point out that the nature of that ungodliness, uh, the essence of sin, is idolatry. Uh, Instead of honoring God, even though we know there is a God, instead of honoring God as God or giving thanks to Him for all His good blessings and gifts to us, um, instead uh, men turn away from God and exchange the glory of God for images. So instead of worshiping God, we worship ourselves. Images made like men or birds or animals or creeping things. And, and therefore, because of this, this perverted worship, God responds by giving a society over to perverted bodies and perverted minds. There are profound, profound insights here for the 21st century American church because we live in a culture that is currently experiencing the realities of Romans chapter 1. Just two main points this morning. First, we'll look at God's just response and then the, the horrible re, um, result of God's response. So first, God's just response. One of the most sobering things about this text is that uh, the world that we live in is not merely ripe for judgment, it is already receiving it. It's already under judgment. 
The perversion and the, de the degradation that we see uh, in our society is the result of God giving people up. If you notice, if you have your Bible open, you look at your text here and, and see how Paul uh, directly and repeatedly links sexual sin to God's judicial response to inner idolatry. Okay, you need to see that connection, that Paul links um, sexual sin to God's judicial response to inner idolatry. That's the argument. So verse 23, we have the reality of man's idolatry. People exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. And the response, verse 24, therefore, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their heart to impurity and the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why, why did God do that? Why did God give up uh, men to the lust of their heart? Well, verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's why. And unless there be any doubt or any questions about this link, Paul repeats it again two more times. Verse 28, for this reason, uh, verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, since they did not see fit to worship God as God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Paul wants us to understand that the world is the way it is in his day and ours because God has taken action in response to man's idolatry. And in you have this contrast, this comparison here. There's, there's two sets of three. There's three times Paul will talk about men exchanging the truth of God and exchanging the glory of God for images and for a lie. And three times Paul says he gave them up. He gave them up to impurity, verse 24. He gave them up to dishonorable passions, verse 26. He gave them up to a debased mind, verse 28. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to give people up to such things? Well, theologians refer to this as God's judicial abandonment. Judicial abandonment. It's one of the most sobering truths and realities in the Bible. It's based on the fact that God, in His kindness towards His creation and in His patience with sinful men, God exercises a restraining influence on the evil of men so that the world is not as bad as it could, could be and would be. God exercises a restraining influence. He does that by putting the law in the hearts of men and women so they know what is right and wrong. He gives them a conscience so there's a, at least initially there's a concern to do right. He, um, he restricts the power of Satan to tempt and corrupt. He thwarts the evil desires of wicked men so that human society can continue and, and, and even flourish. God is actively at work in the world restraining the sin of men. It's the only reason why the world continues to exist and function. However, if people persist in their idolatry, if they insist with ever more urgency on exchanging the glory of God to worship images and, and exchanging the truth of God for a lie, there comes a point when God says, fine, have it your way. 
and he gives people up to their own corruption. C.S. Lewis, I believe, is in The Great Divorce, says there are only two kinds of people in the end. Only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, or those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. It's possibly the most terrifying thing God could ever say to you. Have you ever had the experience of arguing with someone, most likely your parent, um, someone older and wiser, and you desperately wanted something or to do something, and they were opposed to you? Maybe that's going on in your life right now, young people. Uh, your parents are opposed to it. They think it's a bad idea. They warn you that it is fraught with danger, but you fight and argue and insist, and finally your parents lean back and say, all right, have it your way. I'm not going to fight you anymore on this. Go ahead and do it. And they turn around and walk away. Is that, a, is that a really good moment or is that a scary moment? If you have any sense to you, that is a scary moment. Because suddenly, yes, you have the freedom to do what you want to do, but now it's on you and you have nobody to blame but yourself. And even worse, you've nobody left to protect you from yourself. You have cut yourself off from wisdom and truth and love, and you are now left to the forces of your passions and your lies. And that's a really scary place to be. That's a very scary place to be. And that's exactly what God does to rebellious men and women. Thy will be done. Go ahead. Do as you please. And God removes his restraining hand and he gives people over to the debased, destructive power of their passions and the devil's lies. Well, what happens when God does that? What does it look like? What are the results going to be? Well, it looks like sexual sin, particularly the sin of homosexuality. That's what Paul says here in our text, verse 26 to 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men. Now, why is that? Why does Paul point to homosexuality? homosexual sin. It's very important that we understand this because we might assume it's because homosexuality is the worst, the very worst sin. But that would be to completely miss the point. Homosexuality is not the worst sin. Idolatry is. Homosexuality is the physical illustration of the spiritual perversion of idolatry. Notice that Paul appeals to nature, that Homosexual behavior is contrary to nature. That means that uh, God created this world with a natural order. He created this world um, in a way that things ought to be, the way things are made to work and, and meant to be, with the, where when we, when we live according to God's intended desire and design, we're going to find things flourishing and growing. Well, 
Homosexual behavior is a physical, sexual violation of God's intended desire and created design. God has created us in His image, male and female, and designed our bodies to function together in sexual union. But homosexuality refuses God's ordained order, as men and women are consumed with passion for one another, men with men, women with women, and it is a violation of nature, God, violation of God's nature, God's design, just like idolatry is. So God gives a society over to homosexuality, that's what the text says, because it's the perfect illustration of the idolatry. The, the unnatural and disordered sex is a reflection of the unnatural and disordered worship. Notice Paul says that instead of uh, worshiping the Creator, men worship the creature. You see, um, worship, you can say, is either hetero or homo. Hetero is the Greek word for different. Hetero is the Greek word uh, hetero is the Greek word for different. Homo is the Greek word for same. And, and what Paul is telling us is, is that the tragedy of human worship is that we've turned away from hetero worship, worshiping a God who is vastly, gloriously different from us. He's not like us. He's eternal. He's omnipotent, omniscient, perfectly sovereign, holy, the splendor of His holiness, right? We're, we're called to worship God who is not like us, gloriously other than us, worthy of our worship and worthy alone. But when sin entered the world, man's worship was twisted and warped and we exchanged the glory of God for things that look like us. Our, our worship became homo in that sense. We worship the same, uh, things that are just like us. We seek our life and our joy and our significance in other people or in things, created things. And it is twisted. You see, that, 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 that twisted worship is the great sin of humanity. And Paul hides, highlights then homosexuality because it is the warped, physical manifestation of a few that reveals and magnifies the warped spiritual reality of all. That's why he's pointing it out. You see, one of the greatest mistakes that the church makes when it comes to talking about homosexuality is simply to condemn it and to say that's a sin. Well, it is a sin. We'll get to that in a moment. But but the, the church is, is, is not asked the question, but what does it mean? What does it signify? You see, we, we point our finger and judge the homosexual when Paul is pointing his finger at us. The whole point of the text is that all of mankind shares the greatest evil of homo worship. That's the point Paul is making. Notice how he concludes the argument in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself. Why? Because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. 
This is a sweeping indictment of humanity as a whole. Attended particularly in Paul's day for the Gentile world, and of course, it's our background. But it's an indictment of, of the worship of humanity. And because our worship has gone so horribly wrong, then God gives us over to something that reveals the unnatural nature of our worship. So when we judge the homosexual, we're judging ourselves. You see, we're all guilty of the same unnatural, immoral, spiritual idolatry. And it is appalling, right? The Bible will say, be appalled at this, O heavens. So what do we do with this truth? What are, what are the lessons to be learned? What are, where do we go from here? You see, because a, a text like this is meant to get our attention, isn't it? it? It's meant to make us wise unto salvation. And I'd like to point out a few things that we need to consider from this text. The first thing is we need to understand our times. If what God, if what Paul says in these verses is true, if God responds to gross idolatry by giving people over to defiling passions, and if homosexuality is one of the clearest evidences of a culture that has been given over, well then, friends, we have reasons to tremble for our nation today. Because you see, when a culture embraces and celebrates homosexuality, that's a canary-in-the-coal-mine sort of sin. Um, boys and girls, back in the day, um, in fact, prior to 1986, I, uh, I read that, that miners used to take little birds down into the coal mine with them, and, and uh, they'd have them in a little cage, and every time they went down to the coal mine, they would take this little bird in the cage along. And the reason was is that there, there was a possibility for a buildup in the mine of deadly gases like carbon monoxide. Uh, the problem with carbon monoxide is that it's odorless. You can't smell it. You can't see it. You can't, none of your senses will detect it. And it's deadly. So how do you know if it's there or not? Well, they would bring the canary down along with them because they knew that if there was carbon monoxide gas in the tunnel, it would kill the canary before it killed them. And if someone looks over and says, hey, the canary is dead, it's time to make an immediate exit. It was a sign. It was a warning. There's danger here. Well, when a culture embraces and celebrates homosexual behavior, the bird is dead, right? It's, if what Paul says is true, and we can just blip by this, but if what Paul says is true, then judicial abandonment is taking place. And I would suggest that's exactly what we see happening in our world today, in our culture today. I read a report this week Concerning the rapid rise of the number of people who identify as LGBTQ, as a quote, the percent of U.S. adults who identify as something other than heterosexual has doubled over the past 10 years from 3.5% in 2012 to 7.1%, according to a Gallup poll released Thursday. Most sobering of all, 21% of those between the ages of 18 and 25 identify as LGBTQ. 21%. Now, exactly how they're identifying, I, I'm not sure if it's just a worldview they're identifying with or the practice, I don't know, but I would suggest that 21% is terrifying. Something's happening. What's going on? Uh, you could point to a variety of things, couldn't you? You could point to the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of marriage, 
uh, that these poor kids are just lost. And then they're left to the normalizing power of social media and the entertainment industry. Uh, and, and, and that is just committed to normalizing these things. Um, you, could, you could say that uh, the influence of teachers and professors in schools is having a great impact. These are all, um, these are all true. But behind those reasons, friends, we have to face the most fundamental one. If what Paul says is true, then God is responding to the idolatry of our culture by giving it over to a debased mind, giving it over to defiling passions so that people do what ought not to be done. And the fact I think that we need to face then is that we as a nation are already experiencing judicial abandonment. God is actively giving us up to our sin. That's what's going on. And it's going on right now. Now, I don't expect the world to accept that truth. I expect the world to laugh at it. I do expect the church to accept it. And that means, friends, that we will stop deceiving ourselves into thinking that politics will fix this. We just have to be sober and serious. It's time for the conservative church to stop talking about making America great again through political means, particularly when the problem is God's judicial response to our idolatry and the promise is made by an unrepentant idolater. Just got to wake up. It's time for the progressive church to stop pretending that social activism is the cure while turning either a blind eye or proudly promoting the lifestyle that is the physical manifestation of God's judicial abandonment. It's time for the church to wake up, to realize what's going on, and to repent. If God does not show this nation mercy... We will only continue to spin out of control. We will only continue to defile ourselves. We will only continue to defy Him until, until God brings us to a just and terrible accounting. If you want some sobering reading, I encourage you to read the books like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where you see what happens when God turns away from a nation. And so it's time for us as a church to wake up culturally. But what's going on, and what then is the cure? Secondly, we need a clear message as the church to those who are living in homosexual sin or experiencing same-sex attraction. Yes, we need to affirm that homosexual behavior or, or desires in all their forms is sin. We, we need to be clear about that, and we should celebrate when um, we see a denomination like the CRC this past summer take a strong stance uh, for biblical truth on this issue. Uh, the, the, the discussion, in a sense, is moving on. In the past 15 years, there have been a, there's been a strong effort by professing Christians to convince the rest of us that, um, that homosexuality is, is actually uh, okay, that God is, uh, delights in diversity, that, uh, but, but th they've made their arguments. The arguments have largely uh, failed to make the case, and people now have chosen their sides. I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of energy spent anymore in trying to argue that this is actually okay uh, with the Bible. People just decide that they don't like it and they walk away. And that's happening more. I had a conversation um, maybe a year ago with a young man, born and raised in, in uh, the church, uh, who is rejecting all of it, all of it. And I asked him, uh, what would you lose if 
all of this were true? Why, why are you so zealous for your unbelief? What would you lose if the Bible were true? What would it cost you? And he stopped and he said, that's a really good question. I just, I just can't accept the Bible's position on homosexuality. I said, do you have, do you have homosexual friends? No. But it's been formed by the culture. And in the culture, it's just, it's just not plausible that God would be offended by people just loving whomever they choose to love. It's not plausible. And so we have to be clear about this. God is not okay uh, with this sin. It is, it, it is sin, and, and, and God will, will judge it. But, but, but we have to say more than that. We have to say more than that. We have to, we have to remind people, encourage people, that, that our warped desires are not indicative of our true identity. That's the lie of the devil right now, that, that if you feel a certain way, that's who you are. Particularly if you feel a certain way sexually, then that is your true identity. Well, that's just a lie from the pit of hell. It's foolishness. And so, but, but it's very common for, for homosexual people or transgender people to say, right, this is just the way I am. This is how, this is, I didn't choose this. This is, this is how God made me. I was, I was born this way. Well, there's a lot of truth to those statements, right? This is just the way I am. I understand that. I didn't choose this. I can understand that to a degree. I was born this way. Yeah, you were. And so was I. You see, every heterosexual sinner has to say the same. The fact is that we have all we all have sinful, warped desires that feel natural to us. Whether that be a desire to gossip or lie or cheat or be lazy or sleep around. It feels perfectly natural. The, the universal human predicament, friends, is that we find within ourselves these powerful desires that, that we know are wrong and yet they're they're difficult to resist. The solution, though, to those unwanted and defiling passions is not to deny them or normalize them. The solution is to deal with the defiled worship beneath them. Deal with the defiled worship. You see, because our problem runs much deeper than our disordered passions. They're just the fruit. They're the symptoms of the disease. The disease is the refusal to come face to face with the reality of God and to worship Him as God. That's the disease. And we'll never be able to break free from our sinful passions until we deal with the deeper issue of our idolatry. Now again, I, I don't expect the world to understand that. I don't expect the world to, to embrace that, but I would expect the church to. You see, we, we have to remember, and this is maybe the most important point of all, that that sexual sin, be it heterosexual or homosexual, does not mean that God has rejected or abandoned us forever. Judicial abandonment is real, but it's in the interest of grace. It's in the interest of grace. Why does God do this? Why does God hand over a culture to their sin? Well, it, it's to, so that they can see the truth about themselves, the depth of their depravity, the nature of their idolatry, their helplessness to resist it. It's just to, it's just to reveal to us how desperately we need a Savior. That's why He does it. 
Why does God leave Israel in the desert for 40 years? It's not just to punish them, it's to teach them what it means to live by faith, to rely upon God when there's no food and there's no water and there's no Walmart to go get some clothes. So what are you going to live on? Well, man will not live, cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's to teach them. You see, it's all the interest of grace and the exact same thing with this. That God, when he hands a culture over, it's, it's in the desire that they would wake up, turn and, and be saved, the Bible says, right? Why will you die, O house of Israel? It's grace. And that's why we need to bring the gospel to this issue. The gospel is the good news of God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's transformation for idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals. For all of us, if you, if you have your Bible, turn to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll, we'll close as we look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a wonderful verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. No matter what people tell you, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, full stop. Paul wants us to understand that these lifestyles, unrepented of, right, will lead us to eternal hell. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 11, and such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is such good news. That is the hope of the world. Such were some of you in your past. You were idolaters and adulterers and thieves and uh, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, homosexuals. But, but... You were washed and sanctified, made righteous, made saints by the grace of God, justified before the throne of heaven, declared to be innocent and righteous because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. Such were some of you, you no longer are. And so the fact that you, friend, that you battle with these sins does not define you. The battle means you're a child of God. If you're battling... Right? If the spirit within you is waging war with the flesh, that's, that's the battle of a Christian. And so don't, and don't, don't take your identity from your sin or your struggle. Take your identity from, from the reality of Jesus Christ and what he does for those who confess their sin and believe in him. Jesus is able to save, you see, all of us, no matter what, the, what fruit, particular fruit, our idolatry produces. And you see the whole list here. Paul has a list here in, in Romans chapter 1 as well. Whatever fruit your idolatry has produced in your life, there's a gospel for you. And it's a gospel in the most unique way. It's a gospel by another giving up. So Paul's going to talk about that, that God giving people up to their sin is not the end of the story. God giving people up to their impurity is, 
is, is not the final act. There's another abandonment in Scripture that we need to see, and that's the abandonment of Jesus Christ in our place and for our sin, because it's the exact same language that Paul uses. In Romans 4.25, he says Jesus was given up for our trespasses. That God gave up Jesus to bear our guilt and to receive the just penalty of our idolatry and all the fruits of it so that we could receive the free gifts of grace. That's Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the gospel. And when God lets people go to their sin, he also invites them to a savior to be rescued from their sin. Invites them to a gospel where Jesus, the perfect son of God, allowed himself to be given up to judicial abandonment as he bore our sin so that we never have to experience the full reality of God's judgment. There's no more condemnation, Paul will say. None. None. Not in Christ. And so, friends, that's our message for this lost world. We don't just look around and wring our hands and, and, uh, and, and decry what we see. We, we look at a lost world and we see a mission field. We see people who are just like us by nature and people who need to hear a gospel, people who know that there is power in the, in, in the finished work of Jesus Christ to rescue them and to transform them and never apologize for that message. It is the gospel. Let's not be ashamed of it. Amen. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for this, this truth. I thank you, Lord, that you show us the truth of our sin, our idolatry. It's gross. It's fruitless. It's against nature. And Father, I pray that you give us eyes to see all the ways that we are guilty of it in our life. That we see our, our need to control and our workaholism, our addiction to romance or eroticism. Lord, all the, the things that we bow down to again and again and search for life and joy and meaning, Lord, they're all idols and they're all sick and, and they need to be cast aside. And, and then Jesus Christ, oh God, you, you give us that power. And so, Lord, I just pray for a sanctifying work to happen in, in the lives of this congregation. Pray for that, Lord, um, there'd be repentance and confession of sin. And that people, Lord, would, that we together would come to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace in our time of need. And that we'd believe the gospel, that this is the gospel for people like us. And because it's for people like us, we can have absolute confidence it's for everyone we meet. And that we stop looking at the world with condemning eyes and begin to look with compassionate eyes and speak a message that is able to save the worst and to the uttermost. For it saved people like us. And so, Lord, we pray for your blessing to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand together and uh, sing, the, flee from sin, run to Jesus. There's power in the finished work of Jesus. Let's celebrate that truth together.
encourage you to do that. Put your faith in the promise of his word. Don't let it just be words you hear and, and, and disappear from your life. But this week, as you walk um, in the way that God's given to you, uh, put your faith in the promise of his word, and I'll strive to do the same. Let's receive the blessing of the Lord. Now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's sing, there's a fountain filled with blood.